This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Oxen Audibles podcast. I'm at Premier Scopal Jared Mack on the show. Welcome to your Wednesday edition of the podcast a couple days away from the Pac-12 championship game and kind of a, an opportunity to look back and reflect here, guys, a little bit on the 2021 football season. Um, Eric had a great idea. Let's hand out some hardware. Let's hand out some mythical hardware for this team. Uh, we're going to run through offensive MVP or, or you know, most valuable player, defense, um, offensive freshman of the year, defensive freshman of the year, Breakout player on offense, breakout player on defense. I think we're going to be in consensus for a couple of these, and I think we're going to be kind of all all over the place on a couple other ones. Um, let's start with the offensive MVP. Um, Eric, why don't you lead us off? Jared, you you can go second, and, and I'll wrap things up. Yeah, Matt can cool. back clean up here for us. I'll um, I I actually spent a moment like it was. There's an obvious answer, and then I really spent a moment thinking: Does Anthony Brown deserve kind of some consideration here? Yeah. I, I I'm going Travis Dye. I think he's been the most consistent, and I think that sort of is what differentiates between Anthony Brown and Travis Dye for me. Um, is just the consistency of play, and I know quarterback is a position that requires a lot more than than running back does in terms of like you're there's some obstacles you have to face on each down, and I think Anthony what he's done recently has been admirable against Oregon State, but mixed in is so many tough games to. I don't know. I had a hard time giving it to him. If one of you give it um, goes Anthony Brown, I'd understand. Um, I go Travis Dye. I think he's been pretty fantastic since being thrust into the starting role. You look at the numbers, 200-yard games, 100-yard games, games where he scores four touchdowns, games where he scores three touchdowns. He's just involved so much. And, you know, it seems like he has just been available, whether it's as a receiver one week or if it's a running back one week in terms of, you know, rushing the ball a lot, whether it's um, you know, a game like UCLA, where you're not going to run the ball very many times effectively in terms of between the 20s, but when you're in the red zone, maximizing that and broke the NCAA record with four touchdowns on four straight carries. Um, I, I've just been really impressed with him. And I think it's been, it was really crucial when CJ Burdell went down that Travis Dye was able to play at this level, that Oregon was going to be in a position right now that they're in where they're trying to play for a conference championship, play for a Rose Bowl. He's been a huge part of that. So, I mean, Tra- Travis Dye is my pick. Um, Anthony Brown, kind of a notable, um, also ran, you know, runner-up for me in this one. So, I, I think Travis Dye is the obvious answer here, so I'm not going to pick him. I'm going with TJ Bass. Oh, wow. A hot take, very much so. Um, but I think Bass is the offensive MVP for a lot of reasons. I think his move to left tackle has completely changed how Oregon runs their offense. Mm-hmm. Um, if like you it. take Utah, if you take that game out of the equation, um, this offense has been firing on all cylinders since he's gotten in at left tackle ever since uh, the UCLA game where he didn't even play the full game there at left tackle. But look, Oregon has ran for like, over 200 yards in every single one of his starts um, at left tackle. Uh except for the UCLA game, but, you know, whole different thought. And, and, but that goes into it where there's been so many injuries on the offensive line and on the team in general. He's played every game. He's played, you know, multiple positions, moving from left guard to left tackle. Um, he's provided this, just this steady rock for Anthony Brown and pass protection as well. Um, I think that's been a huge reason as to why Anthony Brown has been much better over the second half of the season is because he's had time to actually throw the ball. And for the first few weeks, uh, the offensive line was in constant rotation and shuffling. But I, I really think that they found their starting five, um, even after another injury to Ryan Walk. Um, yeah. So I think because of how consistent he's been, how he's played in every game, um, just the, making the move over to a position where he hasn't played it since junior college and doing it so well and basically changing exactly overall how the offense operates, I think he's my MVP for offense so far. Love it. 
I'm going with the uh, same player that Eric went uh, for offense, and that's Travis Dye. I, I think he's got a strong case for um, offensive player of the year in the conference now that Drake London uh, was unable to finish out the regular season. He, he's sixth in the conference in rushing yards uh, per game. Um, total yards on the season, he's third in the conference with over 1,000. His yards per carry is really good at 5.82. His total touchdowns from a rushing standpoint alone is third in the conference um, at 14. Uh, I think Travis Dye has done a 180. Um, the, I should say the fan base has done a 180 on their view of Travis Dye. But I don't really need to dive too much into Travis Dye here for a second. So I want to take an opportunity to talk about Brown like Eric did. I told Jared yesterday at the men's basketball game um, that it kind of feels like Anthony Brown has a legit chance to be first-team all-conference quarterback, depending upon what happens in Utah – or in Salt Lake – in Salt Lake City, in Las Vegas. For Where are we going now? The back to a championship game. Like, and who would have thought that? And so I, I, I agree, Eric. He needs to have uh, some kind of recognition among the fan base because, yeah, he hasn't played perfect football. He hasn't played elite football um, throughout the entire course of all 12 regular season games. But when you look at him at a full-scope 12-game period, he led the conference in total offense with 3,178 yards, you know, his yards per play uh, this season was sixth in the conference um, at 6.94 yards per play. Uh, he, I think he, among quarterbacks, I think he ran for, for the most rushing yards. Um, and touchdown. And, 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 yeah. And so like, he has to get some props here. I, I'm not saying he's a first round draft pick, but, no. <laughs> it, it, in the league, he needs to be discussed a little bit. It's going to be very interesting to see what the – honestly, I'm very curious on the all-conference teams this year, as I am every year. Also anticipating Oregon doesn't get a lot of recognition because it seems like coaches don't like to vote for Oregon's players. But, um, yeah, I, the, the first-team quarterback thing is wild. Like Cameron Rising deserves some, some – obviously some – recognition there. Jaden Valora at Washington State also deserves to be in the conversation. I think Anthony Brown deserves to be in the conversation. Um, there's a bunch of guys that are like middling that also like Dorian yeah. Robinson probably has to be in there a little bit. Um, it's going to be fascinating. There just wasn't an elite quarterback play this year in the conference at all, really, for the most part. Um, and someone has to be the first team quarterback, and I will be curious to see who that is. All right. On to defense. I went back and forth here. There are... Mm. I think three candidates, and I think there are three candidates, one at each level, and I'm going with the star power here because of what he played on the biggest stages, and that's Kayvon Thibodeau. Um, it's a weird year statistically. Like, if you look back without any context and you see his numbers, you're kind of like, what an underwhelming final year it's been. But if you recognize that he missed the, basically the equivalent of four to four and a half games this year out of the team's 12, and he still finishes top three or four in the Pac-12 in all these major statistics, and is still going to be an all-conference player. I don't think he'll be Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year. That should go to Devin Lloyd pretty objectively, just looking at the way Lloyd performed. I mean, his stats are are fantastic, and he plays mm -hmm. on a team that went eight and one and has arguably the best defense. So I'll give Lloyd that one. But I think for Oregon, Thibodeau deserves a lot of credit, along with my other candidates were obviously Noah Sewell and Verona McKinley. I think those are the three guys that you can consider here. Jared might come out of left field and pick somebody I'm not even thinking of. Uh, <laughs> I'm excited to hear where he's going. Uh, I would love some Popo Amavai pick here uh, or something weird, but um, no, I, I think, I think, I think Thibodeau, uh, I mean, I think everybody knows he's the alpha on this defense and I think he's performed at it even when the stats don't show it. Like I'm going to, We'll talk later about breakout defensive players. Um, I'm picking another player up front that sim similarly probably doesn't have the stats that you typically require for this kind of recognition, but you go watch the games and it's really clear how in, you know involved and uh, imperative they are to the team's success. I think Thibodeau, statistically, it's probably a little underwhelming, but if you put into context the time he missed and you also put into the context 
how close he's been to making more plays and how impactful he's been on plays where he doesn't get any statistical recognition. I think it's been a pretty, it's been a pretty spectacular season for him. I just wish it was a year where he was fully healthy. And then one last aggression before I, I pass it over to Jared and we'll see where he goes. But I'm just kind of bummed out now thinking that Thibodeau's career at Oregon is, you know, right in the twilight stages. It's like right in the end of it. He's got one more game of the conference championship. Who knows if he wants to play in a bowl game or not? That's a question that we'll be having to ask here in a couple of weeks. Does he want to risk getting injured in the bowl game to hurt his draft stock or not? Um, but, like, I'm just kind of bummed out that you only the only season we really got a full year of his play was his freshman year when he wasn't even starting until the second half of the season. 2020 was a year where they only played seven games because of COVID. And then this year he missed about a third of the season. It's like Oregon fans, I just feel it's kind of a bummer here because now I think two transcendent talents come through in Penny Sewell and Kayvon Thibodeau. And we never really, really got the full experience for more than, you know, a season or so. And that's just, just kind of unfortunate. I mean, Sewell only played about a year and a half at Oregon. Said. And and Thibodeau plays, I guess, about two and a half, you know, a little over two seasons when you add all the games up. And that's just too bad because he's been such a spectacular and, and fantastic talent. You'd love to have seen him play a little bit more. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you on Thibodeau, but my defensive MVP, I thought, was Noah Sewell. Um, Thibodeau just hasn't played enough games. You know, MVP's got to play. All the games. It's like in the NBA. You know, I want my MVP to play 75 or more games, um, and that's what Noah Sewell does. This guy is tough. He, I, I feel like he encapsulates exactly how a Mario Cristobal team should always play. Uh, he's hard nosed. He's physical. Um, he's fast. He gets to the point of attack immediately. He runs through people. He always keeps his feet moving. Um, I, I, you're watching him play is just spectacular. You know, he's. Just such an interesting talent uh, in a game against Washington State. He doesn't record like a single tackle, and everybody's like, "What?" And then you rewatch the game, but he's doing so much more. You know, he's a spy for most of the game on Delora. He's in pass coverage. He's he's improved in that all year long. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, he's he's leading the team with ninety four tackles. He's got seven and a half tackles for loss. He's got four sacks. He has five pass deflections. This guy's all over the field. Um, Every see, it also seems like once a game, he suffers a season-ending injury, <laughs> and he's down on the field for two for I don't know five minutes, and everybody in the press box is like, "Oh no, another injury for Oregon," and then three plays later, he's back in the field and making a play. Um, I, I I just think he's an unbelievable talent, and I'm I'm happy that for him, uh, he's always come to fruition and, and played some of his best games on national television. Uh, it started against Ohio State. He was great against uh, the Buckeyes, and yeah, I think I think he has to be the MVP because he's just been such a solid piece in that defense that has been, you know, destroyed by injuries. And he's been the one guy to play every game, um, basically almost every snap that he can. Um, yeah, so I, I think for for those reasons and, and plenty more that I can't get to, I think Noah Sewell is the, the defensive MVP. I look at this and it's a battle of what just you guys two you guys I cannot talk this morning. You two guys laid out. Do you pick the most individually talented player or the guy who's played the most games? Um, and I think what we saw in the first portion, first half of the year from Oregon's defense when Kayvon Thibodeau was not healthy and when Kayvon Thibodeau was unavailable to play. And some of this was also other guys around him not also playing. But I just go back and I just look at just night and day difference between the defense with Kayvon Thibodeau on the field the first quarter against Fresno State and then what they were like against Ohio State, what they were like against Stony Brook, against Arizona – against Stanford and just the lack of pass rush, the lack of turnovers in, in some situations in some games on the road, um, the the lack of, of quarterback pressure. And I thought something that was said by Mario Cristobal this week about Thibodeau really hits home for why he should be the Pac-12 player of the year, or he should be this defensive player of the year for Oregon, is that 
it his impact isn't just reflected on the sacks or the the quarterback hurries that get registered. It, it's the ones that don't, and it's it's the, the the process of him speeding up the play and not even having any kind of statistical impact on it, but because of his pressure and because of his just being there involved in the play forces the quarterback to rush out quickly or him. I mean, think about the Oregon state game and that when he shot that gap and, and like first and goal of the five, when he, he got the tackle for loss, he's done that multiple times this season. Um, I, I think it's Kayvon Thibodeau because without Kayvon Thibodeau, I don't think this team goes 10 and two in the regular season. I don't think they make it without him. You know, UCLA games where I'm like, he was just absolutely disruptive. And without him, do they win that game? It's a, it's actually a fun one. I think Jared Jared made a compelling case there. I think Verona Kinley has a compelling case for the way he's performed this year. I think he runs third for me um, behind KT and Noah, but to have three guys like that who are bona fide all conference players, I think all deserve some consideration for all American. Yeah, honors at I least. Have, I, we'll see. I had one one more name. Oh, Brandon Dorless deserves some credit. Yeah, he's been tremendous this year. Absolutely. Just, his stats aren't going to show it. It's just the position he plays. But him paired with KT has been really, really impressive at points during games. Um, gets off the line so fast. I'll, I'll use a Mario Crystal Ball description and say he's heavy-handed. I think I finally learned what that meant. But and he, he's one of them, man. He's he's really I, impressive. Uh, I thought when you, I thought you were going to say he's like Star Wars, which has become Mario's new favorite favorite. So, term. so strange. Oh, so. Every, everybody, everybody's like Star Wars according <laughs> to Mario, which is great because I love Star Wars. So more Star Wars talk. All right, um, on to some freshman awards. Um, offensively, there's some candidates here, but I think there was a runaway for me, um, just kind of looking at everything and how the season played out, and that's running back Byron Cardwell. Um, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if this is a sweep here, but. Jared might surprise me again. Um, I don't know. I love. I love. I love the contrarian pick there with, with TJ Bass. I'm still kind of mesmerized by it. It's so good. Um, <laughs> I I think, again, and this goes back to some of the stuff I talked about with Die. The offense needed when Verdell went down. I don't. Yeah. I think we almost. Over, I mean, I think we almost overlook how big of a loss that was. I mean, you're talking about one of the better running backs to come through this program in a minute. He was a back to back. 1,000-yard rusher in the years that they'd played full seasons coming into this year. Um, to lose him after he'd had a breakout game, kind of, on a national level at least, against Ohio State, to lose him for the year, like, that was a huge thing. And it, it coincided with a loss against Stanford, with the with what happened with Moorhead, with a bye week, with Bennett Williams going down, Forsyth going down. All of this was going on. It was so chaotic. I think – I mean, I don't know if we – I know we in the moment spoke about it, but I think looking back, it's almost kind of like, man, it was that overlooked almost a little bit, the significance of losing CJ Verdell. And it wasn't just Travis Dye that needed to step up. They needed another running back. And I've just been really impressed with Byron Cardwell. Um, he's averaged 7.4 yards per carry on just over 50 rushes this season. That's best in the Pac-12. That's top 10 nationally in terms of yards per carry. Obviously, doesn't qualify for like all the national stuff because you need 100, 150 carries, you need to be more involved in the offense than he has been just over the course of the season. But the guy's been money, and it, it's a thing where I know I mentioned on the podcast a while ago, it's like every week that goes by, you see another element of his game. You know, yeah. in Colorado, it was how quickly he hit the hole and his breakaway speed to score. Against Washington, it was, man, does he fight for every inch on those short yardage situations? And the stats might not be gaudy, but those third down runs he had against Washington, they needed those. Um, mm-hmm. Washington State, there was some incredible vision and patience there. I still remember on his second touchdown run, I think it was, where he waited behind, I think it was George Moore or Stephen Jones, who was pulling right for that instance and then accelerated for the touchdown. Um, you know, and even against Oregon State, that was a huge – I mean, I, I almost gets overlooked because Oregon ends up winning fairly comfortably, but they needed to score on that last mm-hmm. drive, and he's the one who picks up a third and eight for 31 yards, you know, and that's third yeah. and eight. You don't get that. Matt and we were talking the press box live when that was going on. They're in a weird part of the field. What are they going to do if they don't get it? Is this a four-down territory? Well, he made that conversation obsolete. So I think Cardwell's been pretty spectacular, and for me, it was a pretty easy pick here. Yep, Byron Cardwell. I, I like. There's a lot of talent on this team. A lot of talented freshmen who have played this season, um, but Cardwell's impact has been 
the most important one that any any player has provided for them. Um, here's why the CJ Verdell thing kind of goes unnoticed. You basically have swapped Verdell's like average rush attempts with Travis Dye and given Travis Dye's average rush attempts to Byron Cardwell. Yeah. Cardwell has 54 carries this year, 398 yards, three touchdowns. Eric, like you mentioned, 7.4 yards per carry. Here's CJ Verdell's stat line in his five games. 77 carries, 397 yards, five touchdowns. So he's picking up the slack. He's doing it more efficiently as well. Um, and obviously, it's a, it's a bigger sample size for Cardwell because he played 10 games, CJ Verdell only five. But he's got less carries and more yards than Verdell did. And we all thought Verdell was having a stellar season, especially after his performance against Ohio State. So that Verdell injury is huge, obviously, but it hasn't stopped Oregon from you know not rushing the ball effectively because Byron Cardwell stepped up and done it even more efficiently than CJ Verdell has. And Eric, to, to, to what you were saying, I've been so impressed with his ability to, to find holes, to wait behind his offensive line, uh, his open field speed. Um, you know, I've, I've talked with him a couple times after practice, and he says that's like his favorite trait is how fast he is because hmm. secondary members uh, don't expect it because he's a big kid. He's 6'1", 210 pounds, but he has breakaway speed. Um, you could, I, I would argue he could be Oregon's fastest running back. He certainly doesn't look like it, but once he steps into the open field, how many times has he been chased down? I think only against Oregon State, and that's only because he was pushed out of bounds at like the one or the two. Yeah, um, He's sure. just been really impressive and – I've said this before, but you know, going in next year if Travis I leaves, which I think he should, um, he's running back one, unless Verdell comes back. We don't know about that, but Cardwell's been so impressive this year. I think he's easily the offensive freshman of the year for Oregon. I agree. I think it's Byron Cardwell, and just my reasoning was be was going to be the the last bit of Jared's comment is that next season, if Travis Dye and C.J. Verdell are not on this team, I have zero doubt in Oregon's run game being able to pick up where the pieces were and and go without any kind of choppy transition. Byron Cardwell has showed enough for me to think that in 2022, he could be an all-conference running back uh, and probably the next really good one out of University of Oregon. Um, he leads – or he, not, he doesn't lead, but he is – he's third in the uh, – second – fourth in the conference. This is just not my day. Fourth in the conference in rushes of 20 or more yards this season. And it feels like he's only played maybe half the year. And it's the back half when Verdell went down. And all eight of those, I believe, have come since Verdell's injury has happened. Um, it, it's pretty remarkable to, to just see how quickly he's adjusted when he didn't play a lot the first four or five games of the season and people are going to, you know, next year or down the road, people are going to say, Oh, I wish I wish they redshirted him. I don't think so because I think he's shown it's, it's early, but I think he's shown the ability that he could be a guy that's not going to be at Oregon for four or five years. If given the opportunity to be, to be primary ball carrier, number one, which feels like could happen next season. Overarching thought, redshirt years don't matter. Just, just don't worry about redshirting anybody. Yeah. That's basically where I'm at. I mean, obviously, like mm -hmm. this one, I don't think there's much choice. And, and just a thought I had here, if I said in 2022, Byron Carter ran for like 1,500 yards, I don't think any of us would be like, no way. No. That, that, that's a big number. It's a lot. But, but 1,500 is, I mean, it's not totally unreasonable. If, like, if you think no, about no. this, if, if, if he's the primary and there's not a, it's not a 1A, 1B situation like Riddell and, and Die. If he's getting a bulk of the carries, like that's plausible, but we don't know. That's a much. good. It's a good running back room next year for Oregon. Yeah, sure is. All right, uh, I like it a lot. Defense, uh, probably also quick. Maybe consensus. I would imagine Jeffrey Bossa. Yep. Um, I know we don't need to go through all of this details. I think we're going to be pretty consensus on these ones because I think they're pretty obvious. Which, by the way, says a lot about these two players because this was Oregon's best individual signing class ever. And offensively, Byron Cardwell would have been down the list of people we would have picked for sure. And Jeffrey Bossa would have been down the list of people we would have picked preseason for this kind of an award because we just wouldn't have seen a 
a route really for them to play. But both of them, I think what it stands out is both of them were kind of forced into action and just immediately it was a fit. And for Bossa to move from defensive back to linebacker and just to stay there all year to be a starter and to play at this level, huge props to him. Six on the team in tackles. A bunch of that production has come the last nine or so games. Started off slightly slow because of injuries, or not because of injury, but because there were players ahead of him who were playing more. Um, in conference play, he's been a stud for them and, and super valuable. So I, I don't even we won't belabor this one because I think we're getting to the breakout offense and defense, and that's probably where we'll have some more, uh, I guess, difference of opinion. But I thought Boss was a pretty easy pick here. I didn't really take much thought to think of anybody else because I don't really know if there really is. And by the way, for those listening, we're considering 2021 signees only here. So it's true freshmen, yeah. first year freshmen. It's complicated mm-hmm. with COVID stuff. Technically, there's some guys that are second year freshmen that would apply. Um, like like Noah Sue would technically apply here. But if we're doing that, but we're doing 21 signees. Um, I think Boss is a pretty easy pick. Um, I would be surprised if you guys went anywhere else. But. Yeah, I went Boss as well. It's, it's the easy answer. Um, he's just been so impressive. The fact that he's moved from safety to linebacker and because Oregon just needs it due to all their injuries. Um, like Eric said, he kind of started slow, just learning the position. Um, but, you know, from from McKinley to Kayvon Thibodeau, they've all had just tremendous things to say about him and just how much he's learned in such a short amount of time. Uh, you see it on the field too. Uh, he's He plays downhill at points. He can, you know, defend and pass coverage pretty well because he is a safety in his natural position, um, which is really helpful for Oregon when they're covering tight ends, things like that. Uh, But I'm just, I'm, I'm I'm really excited about this kid too. Uh, I, he's been so good at linebacker. There's, there's definitely a part of me, and I've talked about this before, that I want to see him stay at linebacker, add 15, 20 pounds. He has the frame to do it. But then it's like. I wonder what it looks like at his natural position. And right. so either of those to me are extremely exciting. Um, I think his potential is much, much, much higher than I think any of us imagined. Uh, just seeing him on the field, it looks fluid. He had a huge game against UCLA and Washington. Um, he's been re- really important to this defense. And now he's the starting linebacker opposite of Sewell. It's been, uh, I'm sure it's been a very strange year for, for Bossa, but you know, he's making the most out of it and doing a really good job at it. Jeffrey Bassa is mine as well. Um, it's like Jared said, I think he should have a strong conversation with Oregon's coaching staff about maybe staying as a linebacker. Um, you look at the heavy hitters on this team that lead the team in tackles. Noah Sewell is number one at 94. Then it's Verone, Mikhail Wright, Kayvon Thibodeau, DJ James. And then it's Jeffrey Bossa at six, and he's he's got three and a half tackles for loss. He's got a sack. He's got a pass breakup, quarterback hurry his name. And I think all of this is from basically, what, Stanford, UCLA time period, like that, that kind of three-week window, four-week window where they finally said, hey, we're going to put you at linebacker and – you're going to play there um, full time. Like first couple of games, he got in a couple, a little bit, but it, it was a lot of uh, Keith Brown or Hukalani um, playing in the month of September and early October. And then middle of October, it felt like Vasa kind of emerged and kind of locked that job down. And so I, I, it's Jeffrey Vasa, and I don't think there's really anyone of note to consider moving forward. Wish Go Ducks had the conference only stats updated. I was going to pull that up to look at it because that would probably give us a better idea of Boss's actual year. Because that was, I mean, obviously the stats apply for the whole thing, but like in terms of the context of conference play only, because that's really when he stepped up. I think that would be data I'd like to look at, but Go Ducks doesn't have that updated. Um, breakout offense and defense. I wouldn't have picked this player three weeks ago, but the way he's performed the last two. I'm going Chris Hudson. Yeah. Um, only had four catches in 2020. He only had like 10, 12 catches up until the Utah game. The last two weeks he's had basically half of his season production. Almost had 100 yards both games. Hasn't quite got there. 82 and 96. Scored a touchdown. That was, by the way, his first touchdown. 
um, this last weekend against Oregon State is a critical one. Led the team in receptions combined, if you look at the last two games, that he's been the most active player in that regard. And again, this is kind of a trend you'll notice going through this list because Die had to do it, Cardwell had to do it, Bossa had to do it, and now Hudson's had to do it. It's a guy who's stepping into a role we didn't necessarily anticipate he'd be in and thriving. And I just think it's been really impressive the last two weeks where they've needed production. Obviously, they lost the Utah game, but he was had his best game of his career in that game. And then they come back against Oregon State, and he basically improves upon that. Or, or, or statistically, it's not quite there, but it's it's in the conversation. I mean, both very strong games. So I think Chris Hudson deserves a lot of credit. And kind of like Byron Cardwell, if we're looking you know, the next season, Hudson's kind of established himself as, hey, he's going to be one of the starting receivers. Assuming Devin Williams comes back, he'll have a decision to make about if he wants to look at the NFL. I would assume he'd be a starter. And then you've got Franklin and Thornton probably battling for the other spot, as they are right now, kind of back-to-back games, by the way. Thornton started against Utah. Franklin started against Oregon State. They're swapping kind of snaps at a pretty even rate right now. But I think Hudson's been kind of a revelation these last two weeks, and you feel better and better about that wide receiver room and kind of what the future of it is now because we're starting to see it actually take form with Chris Hudson mm-hmm. recently. For my offensive breakout, I have Devin Williams. I think he's the, the number one guy. Um, I mean, I, I think Oregon fans and, and me especially, I think we had uh, high expectations for him and he started off slow. But last few weeks, this is, you know, shout out to TJ Bass because Anthony Brown has more time to throw the ball. But yep. Man, he's come on really, really, really strong. And you know, last week against Oregon State is, is what Devin Williams is all about. Um, he's got the speed to break it off over the top. He has the agility, the great hands uh, to, to turn a six-yard pass, a four-yard pass into a 12-yard, you know, breaking tackles. Just, uh, he's just so impressive. And to do this at like 6'5", 215, 220 is, is even more impressive. If he goes to the NFL, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, he's got basically all the intangibles you'd look for in a mid to late round draft pick, a lot of projectability, a lot of size. And this is a, this is a guy who didn't even play against Arizona who never saw the field yeah. uh, for reasons that we don't know. It just seemed like he had some bad weeks at practice, but. Uh, yeah, Mark, Mario City was out of the rotation. So read into that yeah. as you want. And so a, a, a switch has been flipped in Devin Williams and it's helped Oregon so much. Um, He's just one of my favorite players to watch on this team. Uh, I I mean, Oregon State, he had like back-to-back plays where he had a simple crossing route and Anthony Brown's pass was high and away, but Devin snagged it. And the very next play was a screen pass where Devin just picked it up off the ground and while picking it off the ground was already moving and broke it off for another 10 to 15 yards. And, you know, stuff like that. He's a real wide receiver number one. And Oregon needs that. Um, I think they have more guys coming on the pipeline that can be at wide receiver number one. Uh, like if I'm Troy Franklin or Dante Thornton, I'm watching him and I'm trying to figure out what he does in the football field so well so that I can do it. Uh, I also have Chris Hudson just as an honorable mention. Same reason for Eric. It's been really good the last few weeks, um, especially in the absence of Johnny Johnson and Pittman leaving and Jalen Red. Um, and also a shout out to the freshman tight ends. Been yeah. pleasantly surprised by them. They played a lot of minutes this year, or a lot of snaps, not minutes basketball, um, and they've just been they've been getting better. Um, pass blocking, run blocking, I think that's huge for Oregon. If you're a tight end who is playing at Oregon, you need to be good in blocking situations. Um, they're different types of players. Maliki is not a vertical threat, but Terrence Ferguson is. But they both complement each other really well. And if Oregon wants to do 12 personnel with both of them on the field, be my guest. I'd love to see it. I'm going to go, I think Chris Hudson was going to be my selection. Um, I'm going to pick two players, and they play positions that it's very hard for them to generate any kind of a stat. First is Ryan Walk. Um, yeah, I understand that Ryan Walk started seven games for Oregon last season. But I, I think last year it was kind of a, wow, really? He's starting? Like, what? what What's he going to do? I mean, the talk going into the year was eventually that he would lose his starting job. And I think he was so good that he was in line, in my eyes, to 
before he got hurt, I think he had a an outside dark horse type of chance to to maybe be named like a third team All American or a second team All American by one of the services that do it. He was really good. I think he was Oregon's best offensive lineman before he got hurt. Um, just the position versatility and the, the the play that he has, and then. The second guy that, that I would name is Dawson Jaramillo because good I, think, one. I think Dawson's a guy where if TJ Bass goes pro or if Sala goes pro or Stephen Jones goes pro, I have zero doubt that Dawson Jaramillo is going to be fine starting. And this is just me talking. I don't know this. But I don't think Doss, I don't think Kingsley Suomatia transfers from Oregon mid-year if Dawson Jaramillo isn't playing at the level that he has this season. Like Dawson basically shut down any chance that Kingsley had of playing once he got healthy after his fall camp injury, and that was probably at the time in Oregon's coach's eyes a great thing. Hey, wow. We, we don't have to play this true freshman now because a, a, a four-star that was in our program that had been hurt two years has gotten healthy and has elevated his game to the point where we can't keep him off the field. So now if Kingsley plays, it's because he's absolutely really good. And that probably was not in line with what Kingsley was expecting. Um, and so I, I just think Dawson needs a mention here because he was a guy a year ago a lot of people were, were just saying he's gonna he's not even gonna be on the team. Like not not a, like not just not playing. People wanted him gone. And now I think he's turned into a guy where if he starts in 2022 because of guys moving on to the NFL, I don't think there's really any drop off. I'm envious of both of your offensive line call outs here. These are good picks. I uh I we're kicking myself for not thinking of Ryan and Dawson because those have been two of my favorite players to watch as well this year on offense. Um, two guys that, yes, solidified themselves for however long they're here as starters. Another name I wanted to mention that doesn't have an offensive def- or defensive designation before I get into defense is Camden Lewis as a breakout. I don't know where this fits offense, defense, because whatever you want to determine special teams is. But I just think – I know he had the down game against Utah. One of those is blocked. I don't blame him. The other one – missed it really bad but his ability i mean his bounce back maybe that's how you want to refer to this one his bounce back from what he did in 19 and 20 where fans just straight up didn't like him or want him to be the kicker period and you still see even now some henry cattleman kind of like why isn't he the kicker after camden misses once basically i just think he's played fantastic this season and oregon has needed a weapon at kicker and they found one and uh kudos to him for sticking with it i think it's a great story of kind of determination and, and resiliency and and not giving up on on dreams, even when a lot of people want, would have probably, and a lot of people would have at least looked to transfer to a different school. So I think Camden deserves a shout out. Um, and then to my breakout defense, I did two names here. One of which is like kind of a, I know it's not going to qualify because of missed games, but how Bennett Williams started this season yeah. deserves at least some recognition. Um, he's still second in the Pac-12 in interceptions with three, and he only played. I think five games, um, mm-hmm. four games. Sorry, he didn't play against Stanford. He was lost right before that. Um, he was playing at a really high level, and I hope it's not lost on fans just how well he was playing. Um, Jamal Hill has stepped in admirably. I would stay still that I think Bennett Williams was more effective in his starts this season than Jamal Hill has been in most of his starts. I think Hill's played a little better of late. He's still struggling. Like, you look at – I mean, I don't want to make this a negative podcast on anybody, but you look at some of the tight end success opponents have had recently. Jamal Hill's been targeted on a fair amount of that. Um, I'm not saying Bennett would have fared 100% better, but he was playing better in coverage, at least early on in the season, um, than what we've seen recently from Hill. So I just think Bennett deserves credit. Also kind of ties in with what Mario said um, on on Monday, um, that Williams has, it sounds like we'll play in a bowl game this year, which is a, a welcome development. I'll be curious, by the way, to see how they sort out starting snaps there with a bunch of now they have their whole complement of guys and how does that sort itself out um right and the name i'm actually picking for like the for the full season is a name that um 
Jared brought up as his fourth candidate for defensive player of the year, and that's Brandon Dorless. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of went back and forth about what, whether or not he qualifies for this, but I, I think he does. Um, his second year as a full-time starter, he was really strong in 2020, kind of like Ryan Walk, though. I think there was – I don't want to say he was overlooked, but I don't think he was appreciated as much as he has to have been this year. I think Brandon has really stepped his game up. And I made the point earlier of, like, statistics will tell you Brandon Dorless is – not a hugely impactful player based upon the number of tackles he records, the number of tackles for losses, the sacks, all of that. But his impact on a play-to-play basis is huge. And I think like I, he came in, by the way, another guy, really low-rated really recruit. I think the lowest-rated recruit in that 19 class, um, at least from a non-kicker perspective, I think Camden was in that class as well. But this guy's just, he's just really overachieved what I anticipated would be the case with him. He was the lowest rated of, I think, four defensive line recruits in that class um, with Keon, you know, Keon Ware Hudson, Christian Williams, Swabba Poti, and Dorless. And for him to be quite clearly the most involved, the most impactful of that group, and by a large margin where I think he has a case to be all conference this year, huge props to him. I think a guy who, again, probably slightly underappreciated, but those that watch closely understand how valuable Brandon Dorlitz has been. So he's my breakout pick this year. I had um, I had five names, uh, two of them pre-injury. So I, I, Flo, was, Flo was right there, man. If he could could have stayed healthy, he would have been a breakout player for sure. Yes. Uh, and then Bennett Williams, like you said, the same reasons. He was just so transcendent for the four games that he played. It's a shame. I love watching him in open field tackles. He was just unbelievable. Uh, then my three real options were Dorless, Bossa. I'm cheating a little bit, but he's a breakout player. I'll tell you what. And uh, TriQuest Bridges. Um, my actual answer is going to be Brandon Dorless as well. Uh, I touched on this earlier. He's just been so good this year. Um, like Eric said, you know, lowest rated recruit of those four defensive linemen in that class. Um, but man, is he good, which speaks to uh, Oregon's ability to develop talent and scout talent from all over the country. Uh, you know, seven tackles for loss, two and a half sacks. Um, every week you see Pro Football Focus tweet out the highest rated defensive lineman in the Pac-12. And Brandon Dorless finds himself on the list almost every damn week. So he is just a monster. Um, he's really turned around or helped turn around Oregon's uh, rush defense this year. Uh, him and KT on the same line once Kayvon became healthy was just really just a huge difference maker. Um, he's a guy who opposing offensive line have to fit, have to double team every once in a while and that leaves single coverage for KT. Or they double team KT and it leaves single coverage for Dorless. Um, he's a really, really good complement and just a, a really talented individual. Um, but I would like to give a shout out to Triquest Bridges. I thought he's played really well this year. Yeah, uh, there was a huge, you know, the competition between him and Dante Manning. I think Bridges has clearly established himself as the better player, um, and his his length, his versatility too. He's been playing safety recently with um, all the injuries that Oregon has had at the safety position as well with Happel, Steve Stevens, Bennett, obviously. Just um, been really impressive, and I, you know, he, I think he'll be in line to be the number one or not, uh, potentially the number one cornerback if Michael Wright leaves, but definitely somebody who could be starting you know, opening day in, in 2022. I think I'm going to stick with the trenches here, and I'm going to go with Popo Amave and Brandon Dorless. I'm picking two guys again. I'm cheating. Picks. I mean, I picked three. So <laughs> they're good. You're named half the defense, so I think you're good. But I, I just had to step I, up, man. <laughs> I think next season, without Kayvon Thibodeau, probably without Verone McKinley, probably without Mikhail Wright, this defense is going to be fine because guys up front like Popo Amave and Brandon Dorless will probably be back next year. And when you pair them with Noah Sewell, you pair them with Justin Flo, Jeffrey Bossa, DJ James, um, Funa, Swenson, this unit's going to be good. And I, I think Oregon was not good against the run in 2020. And this year they have been considerably better. And a large part of that is because of the play that Popo Amave is giving at nose tackle 
and the play that Brandon Dorless is giving at defensive end. And I think Dorless has a very difficult decision to make in particular at the end of this season because I think he, he could be a guy that gets drafted this year or he could come back right? and he could be a player who has maybe a middle-of-the-road type season and very similar to what he has this year and his stock kind of plateaus a little bit or he could go he could have a huge year and just shoot up the draft boards and i think we've seen in spurts the oregon state game where he just straight threw the oregon state running back to the ground um he's done that like four or five times this season um he's had very good games up front uh he was very good against ohio state he was very good against Washington, um, UCLA. I, I think he's got an opportunity. I don't know if All-American is there, but I think he's got an opportunity as a junior next year, which would be his fourth year in the program, to become kind of that peripheral national name along the defensive line. I just had one other breakout name just because of the last month, but that's Jordan Happel, I think deserves some credit. Mm -hmm. It's a guy Mm -hmm. similar to Ryan walk and a couple other names we mentioned, Camden Lewis, where I don't think fans thought much of him. I think he's changed some people's opinion with how he's played. He's played very, very well filling in for, for Steve Stevens. That's all I had for names that I wrote down. I don't think there's, unless you guys have anything else. I, I don't have, I didn't want to name him as like, my breakout player, but someone who next year could become a regular rotation guy and a very good player for Oregon and fringe all conference type level, honorable mention more likely, Jason Jones. I knew you were going there. Yes. I, it. I love it. Yes. Like, <laughs> I love is. Jason Jones, man. Oh, man. I mean, Georgia's defensive line this year is massive. Davis for them is like an all is a Heisman candidate. And it just this isn't fair, but they just seem to have the similar body types. And whenever I watch Georgia, I'm like, that's gonna be Jason Jones in two or three years. Like six foot six, three hundred, like he's a humongous. Like I mean, like Jason Jones really should be playing offensive tackle. Um, but he's showing that at 6'6 and 300 or whatever he is now, he's going to be a, he's going to be a force. And I, I think Oregon, that's going to be a guy much like Swinson, much like Jamal Hill, much like Dorless, like Jordan Scott a couple of years ago, just kind of got out of the South. You know, like how did this guy like leave the SEC? I think, I think that's what we're going to be saying about Jason Jones here. I probably have a couple more guys to list. Uh, Jason Jones was definitely at the top of it because I don't like uh, I had high aspirations for him. Um, yeah. Really loved his loved his high school tape, and he's a 6'6", 320 pound lineman in the Pac twelve that usually does well. Nobody else can really compete with that. Um, Jackson Powers Johnson, I think he's been really good when he's been healthy. Uh, that's that's been his only issue. Uh, depending on who leaves on the offensive line next year. Uh, I think he could have a real easy line to start at one of the guard positions. Um, really like how he plays. He's just downhill, physical, really hard. Um, just another guy who kind of encapsulates just the overall like program culture. Um, so he's a guy that I, I've really enjoyed watching this year. Um, anybody else? I'm, yeah, I'm, I've, I've exhausted my list, guys. I'm, I'm, I'm straight out of people. <laughs> out of people already? I'm out of oh, I got one more. I got one more. Oh. Trevin Mai. Oh, hey. Trevin I, love Mai. I love me, Trevin. He's uh, – when Kayvon went out, him and Jake Shipley, uh, they had to take over for that. And I thought Trevin Mai has played well. I think he's played himself into a two deep at this point during the season. Um, he's – I think he's fit. There's six on the team and tackles for loss with four. Um, he's a really good edge edge setter in the rushing attack for an, or an opposing offense. Um, I, I, he's gained like 45, 50 pounds since coming to Oregon. He's really filled out his frame. I think there's still more to go. 
Um, he's absolutely turned into somebody who has become a contributor on this football team who I had no idea was actually going to, to be something here. And okay. I think that a, goes a lot into his hard work, his preparation in the offseason, his commitment to the program and being here at Oregon. Um, so he's somebody to look forward to next year. Um, just a you know, really good story for him. A couple guys I did not expect to play basically every single game. Terrell Tillman, Brandon Buckner, um, and then Jabril McNeil. I, I I did not think in 2021, knowing how many guys came back on defense, that those three true freshmen would, would play in at minimum 11 games this year. Special teams guys, big special yep. teams guys. I mean, Tillman, Tillman is – very, very active on special teams. McNeil's been strong there as well. Seven McGee and Byron Cardwell, pretty good on special teams, by the way, for offensive players, um, even on coverage. Um, if we're doing just – if we're going special team stars. Um, Spencer Curtis and Tevin Janis as walk-ons. Tevin, have, yeah. Have Tevin's a special team hero. Have made some plays. Um, honestly, kind of bummed that Tevin – he was honored for senior day because I think he's probably has another opportunity. He's probably played himself into some sort of lower school, maybe actual scholarship. He's been a walk-on, um, mm -hmm. a kid out of Scapoose. Uh, super impressed with how he's been on special teams. If we're just running through special teams, guys, I, I think really impressed with those guys. Brandon Buckner, um, in, in terms of how he played early on in the season, like on the actual defense, I think he's a step ahead of where I thought he would be. I mean, I think like just like – we could name so many guys that have been super impactful. And I think that really just speaks to the way this, this program has been built and the recruiting here of year after year, you find guys that are able to make a role and, and, and be valuable in some facet of the team. And that's why we could name 70 players in a podcast like this, because there, <laughs> there, I mean, there's really not a lot of fat on the bone right now. You know, if you think about it, I mean, they've had to play so many guys and that's why a podcast like this, we could really list almost the whole roster and be like, this person contributed and this person contributed. And it's true. So I think great. I think we've covered our, our bases pretty good here. Yeah. I think that's going to do it for us here on this podcast. Uh, look forward to one more this week and that'll be our preview show getting you ready for the pac-12 championship game in las vegas at Allegiant stadium against those pesky utah utes uh, until then you've been listening to the odds and audibles podcast talk to you later folks peace okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you i can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.